0: Hey, friends, this is Eric Sorensen, a pastor at Hillside Church, contributor to 1517, husband of Missy, father of Jude, John, and Lincoln, and all sorts of other things. Good to be back here with you again this Tuesday, December 15th, just before our fourth Sunday in Advent. I cannot believe we're already that far along. But you know, it's 2020, and time seems to be different this year than all other years. Uh, anyhow, we are back in the Old Testament this week looking at the Old Testament lectionary text for this upcoming Sunday. And again, it is quite a gift to us. It is the Old Testament text of Second Samuel chapter seven, Second Samuel chapter 7 verses 1 through 16, also known as the Davidic Covenant. So uh, with that being said, let's go ahead and dive right into our devotional today, that, that being our law gospel devotional. So What is this text all about? Well, I guess you could say it really is all about David's desire to build something grand for God. His big goal is to make sure he's doing something really, really impressive. And he wants to build God his own house. He wants to build God a temple. Now, it's not unusual for us to think of people wanting to build something big, whether it be for God, which we see throughout the history of the world with various uh, temples made all over the place, or as maybe more often is the case these days, something that really just appeals to the glory of man. Now, I don't know why the building beneath us here in this gif was made. I haven't really done the research, but I do know that it's called the Burj Khalifa and that it is uh, is in the Middle East in uh, Abu Dhabi. And it is the tallest building in the world at just over one uh, a half a mile high. A half a mile high, the Burj Khalifa. As you can see, it's quite impressive. Well, David wants to build something quite impressive for God. And, and essentially what motivates him is this idea that God deserves better. And that is a very, very common way of thinking. It, it, the text begins this way. Now, when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan, the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Now, it seems by the end there that Nathan is, frankly, endorsing whatever David has in mind. David even doesn't make it entirely clear, but the illusion here is, how can I dwell in such a nice house made of cedar, protected, stable, strong, sturdy, impressive? Well, you know, the ark of God, the very presence of God is dwelling in a tent. I mean, this is sort of a replica of what that tent may have looked like. And it's understandable that as David looks at himself and looks at the comfort that he's living in, that the first thought he has is, "Boy, I better do something, I better do something better for God, and frankly, folks, that's our most natural instinct. Our most natural instinct as human beings is to think that it is our job to do something for God, that God deserves better from us. Uh, we have noted multiple times that the the law is not merely found in the scriptures or in nature around us, which it certainly is but is in fact also written on our hearts. And what this means is that the human heart naturally believes that the proper way to relate to God is by doing something. And because we are so inclined to believe this, oftentimes we even start making up new things to do in order to serve God. In truth, often it's the new things, the things that aren't spoken of in God's word that aren't commanded of us, that we tend to hang our hats on the most. You can think of all sorts of cultural ways that this manifests itself. I can think back in the church's history not that long ago in which the way you sort of gauged whether someone was, quote, walking with God, was living holy, was whether they smoked or whether they drank or, you know, whether they went to certain places like movie theaters, et cetera, you know there were these signs that people were supposed to have if they were truly walking the right path. Now, of course, none of those things is actually mentioned in Scripture except for drinking, and nowhere is drinking completely outlawed in Scripture. Uh, But nevertheless, these become sort of guideposts, and they become ways that we can sort of feel like we're doing something right for God. They're, They're ways that we can control, and they make us feel in control of whether we're on God's good side or not. Well, there seems to be a little bit of that going on in David's thinking. Who am I to deserve this nice house Well, God dwells out there in the tent? So it's natural to be, well, you know, like, uh, like our dear boy Seth here, who says we have to do something. It's the most natural instinct the human being has. We have to do something in order to make ourselves right with God. Uh, Robert Capon, this is him, by the way, looking cool and hip, uh, has a great little prayer that depicts the human being's natural tendency and aversion away from, well, not doing something. He writes, Lord, please restore to us the comfort of merit and demerit. Show us that there is at least something we can do. Tell us that at the end of the day, there will at least be one redeeming card of our very own Lord. If it is not too much to ask, send us to bed with a few shreds of self-respect upon which we can congratulate ourselves. But whatever you do, whatever you do, do not preach grace. Give us something to do, anything, but spare us from the indignity of this indiscriminate acceptance. End quote the truth is for all of us folks we have a little lawyer living inside of us that finds ourselves praying the same thing whether we would put it in those words or not we want to find something to do david's idea is to build god a great big house but in response god basically says to david what's wrong with my tent i don't need the upgrade Look at, what he Look at what he says in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 4 through 7. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt. To this day, but I have been moving about in the tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, Did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people, Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? (laughs) God is essentially saying, David, I I don't need your building. I don't need what you want to give me. Um, I'm fine. I'm fine with my little tabernacle. I, I don't need your big, grand, grandiose plan. And that is, of course, shocking. In the spirit of the season, we had to find a GIF that involved Elf, and yes, I do pronounce it Jif, and I will never change the way I pronounce it. It's shocking to us to hear God respond to our great plans to do something, to build something full of grandeur for him, and him say, I don't need it, I'm okay. I'm okay with the way things are. In fact, what's even more shocking is what God will go on to say to David in our passage. Oops. Here's what he says in verses eight through 16. Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant, David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture from following the sheep that you should be prince over my people, Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people, Israel, and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish shall be made sure forever before me your throne shall be established forever folks in response to david's grand building plan his grand design to do something big for god god once again turns the table and does all the verbs <laughs> i'm going to build something big for you david God God is in the business of doing that. Instead of taking our grand plans, he presents to us his grand plan. What does he say to recap? I have taken you, David, from out of the pasture. I have been with you, and I have already made your name a great name. I will provide a place for my people through you that they can dwell safely. I will make you a house. And here when he says house he's not just he's not really talking about his living quarters he's talking about a dynasty. I'm going to build for you a dynasty David and I'm going to do this through your offspring or seed. Now remember this this harkens our memory back to God's promise near the very beginning. First in Genesis 3:15 where God says the offspring the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. That promise is continued to Abraham as God promises to Abraham that through his seed, one day a Savior will come that will be a blessing to all the nations. And David, being the offspring of Abraham, is given that promise again, that it will be narrower and narrower, that not just Abraham's seed, not just the descendants of Abraham will this Savior come from, but David's seed this Savior will come from. The son will build God a house. The son will build God a temple, a dwelling place. God will discipline this son, as we'll see, for his iniquities. And God says his steadfast love will not depart from him. And lastly, that his throne shall be established forever. Now, these are great promises to David, and surely if he was to sort of look ahead to just the next generation, then he would be really excited for what was going to happen. This is, in a sense, God promising the gospel. This is how the gospel works. The gospel says what God will do or has done, and it's given to David in the form of a promise here that this is what I will do one day through your seed, David. the promise, of course, does have an initial fulfillment through David's son, Solomon. We know that Solomon does indeed one day build God a house. He builds God's temple. There's much here that is fulfilled in Solomon. Solomon does reign on the throne. And during Solomon's reign, there is peace for God's people, Israel. True, all true. And yet, it is, of course, ultimately fulfilled through David's true and better Son, Jesus Christ. And this is why it ultimately matters to you. What ultimately matters, folks, in the big scheme of things, is not what we build for God, but what God has built for us. It's not about what I do, it's about what He has done and He will do. That is the focus of the Scriptures. Unfortunately, we're so prone to making the story about us that we want it to be about what we do. We, we even go to the Old Testament so often, especially in our Sunday school stories, but far beyond that in our sermons, in which we make the Old Testament saints these sort of exemplars for how we are to live in order to be great for God, to build great things for God. Now, I will say the author of Hebrews does give some validity to looking to the Old Testament saints. For example, there is the Hebrews chapter 11, the great hall of faith. There's some validity to that, but overwhelmingly, folks, the emphasis is not on what they did for God, but what God did for them through them. And the same thing is true for us In David's true and better son, in Christ, God has built a true and better home for his people to dwell in safely. We know that after Solomon died, the people of Israel did not dwell safely and that this promise couldn't have been totally fulfilled in Solomon because it wasn't long before there was strife and before there was war, before Israel had split into two kingdoms, the Northern and the Southern. And it wasn't long after that, that the Northern kingdom got taken into captivity by Assyria. Now, the ultimate fulfillment of God's people having a place where they will dwell safely forever is provided in Christ. In Christ, God has built an everlasting dynasty with no end. In Christ, God has punished the iniquities of all his children. You'll notice that it said in that passage, God will discipline the son of David for his iniquities. Well, indeed, that is true of what happened to Solomon. But ultimately, that's true in Christ for all of us. Christ has been disciplined in our stead on the cross, though he had committed no iniquity. He becomes our iniquity there on the cross, thereby giving us his righteousness through his death and resurrection in Christ. We know that he's never lost the steadfast love of his Father. And through faith in Christ, neither will we. It is a guarantee. As again, the author of Hebrews says, he has promised he will neither neither leave us nor forsake us. His steadfast love is with us today, tomorrow, and forever. And therefore, we know in Christ we will reign forever as well under our true and better king. So this is ultimately a great reversal of sorts once again. We see the law in what David wants to do for God. He wants the emphasis to be on the wrong syllable, which is what we do. And God says, no, 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 David. It's not about what you do big for me. It's always about what I do big for you in the person and work of your offspring, ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That is our hope when we can't do big things for God or when even the small things that we want to do for God, we don't do perfectly. We do know that is our hope that one has come and ultimately done the greatest thing for God and for us to reign with him forever and ever. So that is 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 through 16. That is the Davidic covenant, as it were. And folks, I can't begin to tell you how thankful I am that you've spent the time with me going over this today. I pray that you are richly blessed as we go from here and that you would have a great rest of your week. God bless you.